This is Cade Massey, practice professor at the Wharton School. On this week's highlight show, we talked to Ron Yurko, longtime friend of the show, a real stalwart, a young but stalwart in the world of sports analytics professor from Carnegie Mellon. We really dig into football analytics, but it's from a big picture. Where is football analytics? Where is it going? Why should it go there? What's the strength of what's going on right now? Fun conversation with Ron Yurko about where we are in the world of football analytics. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Wharton Moneyball on Business Radio. Welcome. Welcome to Wharton Moneyball. Welcome to a full hour of sports analytics here on SiriusXM. This is Kay Massey hosting this week with my longtime co-hosts, colleagues, friends, and collaborators, Audie Weiner and Eric Bradlow. Shane Jensen is out this week doing Shane Jensen things. He will be back. Some combination of us are here almost every week of the year. And we have been for coming up on 10 years, coming up on 10-year anniversary. In fact, heads up, we don't know what we're going to do with it yet, but we're going to record an hour-long fireside chat of sorts with all four co-hosts reflecting on what we've learned over the last 10 years. I do think we've learned a few things, and we'll share that out in some form or fashion. You can follow us on Twitter, probably the best way to do it, easiest way to do it, at WMoneyBall is our handle on Twitter, at WMoneyBall. We follow our guests. We tweet about the world of sports and sports analytics. We love to hear from you. Delighted to have back on the show for the first time in a while, too long, frankly, Ron Yurko. Longtime listeners will remember Ron. Those dabbling in the world of sports analytics, no doubt know Ron. He is at Carnegie Mellon, been at Carnegie Mellon for a long time. He is a teaching assistant professor there now. He did his PhD there. Various teams tried to lure him into the dirty professional world of sports. He abstained. He is somehow holding himself pure at Carnegie Mellon. He's part of the leadership team there that is one of the real pillars in the sports analytics community. They run a conference every fall that's fantastic. They run a summer camp for high school research kids. Um, really one of the great institutions pushing things forward in sports analytics. And Ron is one of the leaders there, has been for a while since some ridiculous age, like, I don't know, 13 or something. He wandered on the Carnegie Mellon campus and started leading these sports analytics efforts. Ron, good to see you, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. No, I, unfortunately, not since I was 13. I mean, I'm from Pittsburgh, from the area, so I always was connected in a way, but uh, not, I'm not that young. Not that young. He's, he's, he's at the ripe old age of 30 now, but Ron's been doing the thing for a while. And we thought, let's just find out what Ron, Ron's thinking about. He's one of these guys where you'll kind of be interested in whatever he's thinking about. He's that broad and deep in the world of sports. Analytics. Ron, you told us ahead of time that something on your mind right now is that you advised two of the team's that ultimately made the finals for the big data bowl. So we're talking about NFL's competition. They do it every year. This is what, like the fifth year, maybe fifth year, sixth year pushing. The finals are held in Indianapolis during combine week. And it sounds like two Carnegie Mellon teams have made it in and that you're advising those two teams. That's pretty exciting. Can you give oh, us, yeah, I'm ecstatic about that. Yeah, it's, just, I mean, uh, this thing is there's so much competition now, right? This is this is a this has been one of the real victories in sports analytics in the last few years, what Lopez and the NFL have done. And I mean, kids have moved from these competitions into teams all over the place. Ideas are in television production all over the place. I mean, it's really been a win. Tell us a little bit about and we have to keep it kind of thumbnail. We could do the whole show on either, either one of these, but just in, in a sketch, what did your teams do? What was the what was the mandate this year, the scope? And then what did your two teams do? 
Not your team, yeah, the so teams you advised. The theme this year was tackling. And that's that's a very broad topic. Uh, and so you, you saw a number of different uh, projects that are out there where maybe groups were trying to attempt to predict who might tackle uh, or where might a tackle take place. Uh, my two groups actually took a very different route. We went for, let's think kind of creatively out of the box. And we had a one group of master students in our program where they decided to partner with CMU football coaches. And one of the great things that Lopez uh, added recently in the big data bowl was this coaching track where the idea is bring data scientists, statisticians together with football coaches and have something that's really delivering on a concept football terminology, something that hopefully coaches can get a takeaway from. And this group, what they worked on was the notion of setting the edge where mm-hmm. Um, the moment where the defender has effectively established like the border that the running back will see in a sense, and then have to change their direction, cut back and whatever movement that you can imagine is going to drop their velocity you know, the speed at which they're moving. It's going to hopefully lead to a more successful play from the defensive point of view. And what, it was fantastic where the coach drew on his whiteboard, these sort of angles of types of runs and these cutback motions. And we saw this, and the students realize we can actually quantify like this angle, this change in the direction and see when is this greatest change in the direction happening over the course of runs. Hey, you can see that. Okay. A connection of football understanding, this concept, this key thing of the role of a player setting the edge and how, if it happens earlier in the play, it leads to notably like a more successful defensive play. And we, you can look at that like expected points added perspective for football or just even yards yards gain yards lost yeah so Ron let me ask you is is this you know a topic I was talking about to my MBA students today is what one might call feature engineering meaning we have some maybe continuous or we have some long vector of observations and we're going to summarize that and see what helps predict some business outcome in the case of my class do you view this any differently than like a standard feature engineering problem? Like maybe it's the angle. Maybe it's when it happened. Like earlier is better than later. Maybe it's how far it is away from the pocket. So do you view this differently than, you know, whether it's a machine learning model or whatever the students are doing, but it's a feature engineering problem? I I, I love what you bring up there because this is entirely just careful feature engineering. All right, And this is also what, what we did in this other project of looking at, uh, change in momentum for the ball carrier. We decided really for these two projects to try to be as model free as possible. Where I'm just saying now, we have this NFL tracking data. It's incredibly rich and complex. What are we actually observing with this? You think in baseball, I, I think about baseball analogies all the time because uh, that's, that's what I played growing up. I never played football. So I always think in baseball terms, but like baseball exit velocity, launch angle. Those are two, they're common now. Baseball broadcasts, baseball discussions. Those are not models. Those are effectively smooth quantities measurements from the technology that we have. And so we, in football, we have this rich tracking data. And I'm guilty of this, and others are definitely guilty of this as well, of diving into like throwing in machine learning models, trying to predict this and that. But what are the actual measurable features that we can see, that we can compute, whether it be changes in the angle of movement or just noting ball carriers have momentum towards the target end zone. 
how are those observed things changing? And those are things that then can get studied via statistical models, understanding yeah, sources exactly, of variation. Just, just quickly, just to add on, and I know Adi wants to jump in. This is exactly what I talked about. I was talking about the, in my case, the observable data was clickstream data, which is you have this extraordinarily rich clickstream data. And the question is, what are the observables? Forget the model yet. Just what are the observables that are likely to provide information about some outcome of interest? So it's 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 really, and I view it as an identical problem. So let me jump in and make step back even further. You went from you went from football to baseball, and you were talking about marketing. I'll, I'll move, move further. In you, you have two really two two measurements that you're looking at. One would we would call in statistics the X space, the the features. Yeah. And then you have the the Y space, which is the thing that you ultimately care about. So in the football problem, it would be the Y would be well, what happened was did you tackle him or you didn't tackle him? Um, something that that actually matters to the football game. The X are all the observables, the, the, the starting with the tracking. And what you're talking about feature engineering is taking this big, giant X matrix of, of tracking information and creating variables. What I'm, what's interesting about what you described, Ron, the momentum stuff, and we actually had a team of undergraduates who are doing something. When I saw your project, I'm like, that's exactly what these, this team was trying to do. They never actually finished. Um, and uh, that doesn't have anything to do with the Y. You build it just looking at the at the tracking data without actually looking at a football problem, what you would, what you would call it, like digitackle. And then ultimately the idea is you create these features and then without looking at the, at the Y vector, and then you figure out what the weights are and, and what can best predict the Y. And that's what you would call, that's often what's done in, in, like in, in, in the business world. And the real issue is, should you, and this is the open problem, do you build the features independently of the why, or do you build them simultaneously? Adi just asked my question. So I'm interested <laughs> in this. And then, by the way, this is exactly the question an MBA student, a sophisticated one, asked me in class today. So I'm interested in Ron's well, answer. I'm going gonna, gonna, gonna to ground it briefly so that Ron can answer it in concrete terms to make sure our audience is with us. Let's stay with your, your setting the edge task. You got the, the first team that's working with the Carnegie Mellon coaches. They want to understand setting the edge. And so you're building all these features to help you analyze that. What is the why in that situation? What is the outcome variable that you care about? And the guys are asking, when do you start bringing that in and considering that as you build the the features, the X's? Yeah, so th- this is an excellent question because we actually had a meeting earlier today with the CMU football coaches in preparation for next week. And part of the reason why it's beneficial to maybe not consider what the outcome could be of a play of like the yards gained or expected points out, pick, pick whatever is your favorite outcome-based measurement is if you still want to measure the role of the player in, for instance, this edge setting where that player could have done their job correctly in establishing this boundary where they are close enough, they get close enough to the ball carrier. But if the ball carrier cuts back inside, and the interior defenders fail to do their job, the outcome can still be, oh, very positive for the offense. And I don't want to just say, oh, based on the outcome alone, that this defender did a poor job. And I think that's that's the challenge of the tracking data. And that's the benefit of it, is we can try to isolate when people are doing their job correctly. And even if someone else, you know, it's a complex sport, 22 players on the field, someone else failed, 
We're not going to penalize them by based on hopefully was like a peripheral measure. You know, I think of some examples of a corner covering a wide receiver. Uh, many years ago, you would have seen like Julio Jones make a amazing one-handed catch where he's nearly out of bounds. He has a shutdown corner on him and the corner did their job, but the receiver just did a better job. I'm not going to say the corner did a bad job. The mm-hmm. wide receiver's a Hall of Famer, though. One of the neat things that this conversation strikes me is that it is an opportunity for anybody to dive in and do something. It's it's daunting in one sense that we're never we're not going to have a unified model of football for a long time, but the field is completely open for diving in and carving out a niche, some some particular aspect of the game, designing those features, playing with that one little corner. Anybody can jump in and do that. And that's what these contests have been, but it's um, it's egalitarian. It's democratic in a very cool way. I think a yeah, big credit goes to Mike Lopez and making this type of thing possible where, I mean, I wouldn't even thought of this momentum fractional tackle idea if he didn't have this competition where he had this open-ended tackling theme. Like I would, I'm not right. just sitting around every day thinking about this, right? It's okay. Right. There's this theme. What's a way to go about this theme that's a little bit different than just you know predicting who's going to make a tackle and where? The uh, right. think about things creatively. But, I mean, even at the at a meta level, consider how humble it is of Michael and the NFL to even do the competition in this way, and not just to invite all comers, but then they learn to ask a very open ended question. Say, we don't even know exactly what might be most interesting within the world of tackling. That you could imagine a, a competition presented in a very different way, narrowly prescribed. This is what we're interested in. And there's just a humility that taps into the wisdom of the crowd that they've learned. That's just and modeled, I think for the rest of us. And having something like this coaching track where you're encouraging collaboration between the technical people and the football folks, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. The actual coaches, that's just going to lead to, it's just going to lead to better ideas, more interesting ideas, better for the sport. Right, better for the connection well, between the analytics yeah, groups and the people in the teams. Don't underestimate that because one of the things that we've seen with this data bowl is the relationships and the the analysts that go to teams. But now with this new branch, you can start seeing coaches getting kind of pulled in or having their eyes opened or getting curious because of their experience with this. It's really, really just fantastic. Okay, more on that down the road because the combine is just coming up. But Ron, before we let you go, got to give us a little something on actual sports happening on fields of play or at least in practice facilities, your Twitter feed, which we should say is at, I think it's stat underscore Ron at stat underscore Ron. Is that right? Great Twitter follow. Fantastic Twitter follow. Um, And it's been a bit of a screed lately on the Steelers QB. Do I have that right? What's going on there? What's got you so spun up? I, 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 you know, I had the realization this past year, really, I was optimistic going into the year, but I am just completely all out on Kenny Pickett. Uh, I should have realized that earlier. Uh, the funny thing actually was the CMU football coach, Ryan Larson. He's the one that told me at the beginning of the year. Um, yeah. Kenny Pickett's not an NFL quarterback. So you should, you should adjust accordingly. And I agree with that sentiment a hundred percent right now. Uh, I mean, it's, if you think about like to be able to compete in the year of Mahomes 2024, you need, a quarterback, all right? If you actually want to have a realistic shot at a Super Bowl run, so real you quick, can't let me stop win and ask, with a QB how, from how many, 2000. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. How many of those guys exist? How many do we think exist right now in the world? Probably yeah, employed that, by that's a good question. 
No, honestly, it's, it's, not it's less, that, right? It's less than 32, right? So you're, yeah. you're quoting the Carnegie Mellon coach saying he's not an NFL quarterback. There are lots of guys being paid as NFL quarterbacks who don't meet that threshold. I'm curious what yeah, you think. I think Kenny Pickett's at the very bottom. I mean, if they, I mean, you saw with the Steelers at the end of the season where a, a person on the team that was a backup, Mason Rudolph, just quickly elevated the team. <laughs> so if I, if I think about what I want the Steelers to do for just a little bit of an upgrade next year, it's to start anybody else. But I, I don't think they're going to. What, what, Eric's going to jump in, but one real quick question on that, because I'm not following closely enough to know. Did, did Rudolph, was Rudolph just that much better than Pickett, or did he actually age well for the last two years? Because we saw him as a rookie, and then he kind of disappeared for a while, and he came back, and I'm like, I didn't, I wrote that guy off. Has he actually gotten better? I mean, that, that's a good question that I, you know, I don't think we know the answer to, right? Um, there's a chance he got better, but, the number of just like Kenny Pickett statistics of just in terms of how bad he is is so overwhelming. What's your what's your favorite? What do you think's most? What's your most diagnostic? He most has, damning? The, 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 I think the worst is of quarterbacks in the history, like or like it's in the last five, fifty years, right? Last fifty years with at least five hundred attempts, he is the bottom, the last player in terms of like touchdown per attempt. He has the lowest touchdown per attempt out of the QBs in the last 50 years. It's astonishingly bad. <laughs> I know it, it sounds bad. Are you sure it's not a team stat? Are you positive it's not a team stat? Because that sounds like a little a bit, bit like a team there. stat. There, there, yeah, there, there could be a bit of that there. I, I don't know. I just, I think of if I want to have optimism to actually like compete in a playoff run, He's nowhere near the level of a quarterback that you would that we need to do okay. that. You could compete in a playoff one with something someone like Kirk Cousins. Right? You don't need a Josh Allen to maybe compete, but they don't they don't have that right now. So okay. let me ask you a question, Ron. I was thinking about this when I when you mentioned uh, Kenny Pickett and the Steelers. Are you cursed if you're a Steeler fan by, in some sense, the accomplishments with less of Mike Tomlin? Like, you're always going to pick. Like, I just looked this up. As you, I'm sure yeah. you know, the Steelers draft 20th. Okay, now, could they get a great quarterback at 20? Yeah, they could. They're not getting one of the top four or five quarterbacks because unless they trade up, everyone's going to. So, in some sense, what is the prospects for a Steeler team? And I hate to say it, given I'm an empiricist, you know for the next 10 seasons, Mike Tomlin's going to have a mediocre winning record, and therefore you're not drafting in the top five, and therefore where are you? Yeah, this, yeah, this is something I've thought about. It's it's the curse of mediocrity in a way, or like slightly above it, because Tomlin somehow manages to win more games than expectation, right? And I think Eric Eager had a nice analysis where he actually picked up on like some effect of Tomlin. Tomlin does something, not necessarily. Yeah, we had Eric, we had Eric on, a, and he yeah, talked about that. Yeah, he's a great leader and can somehow inspire this group to win more than you would think. But they're always in that draft slot where they're not they're not going to get Caleb Williams or Drake May, right? They're gonna may they could maybe draft a Bo Nix or a Michael Penix. And it's a question of are those really the guys that are going to take the team to the next level, or is the only actual path a trade, a free agent for an established veteran? Is that the only way? And I, I I'll be honest with you, I am not a salary cap expert. By any means, that is well beyond my head, and that's a huge hurdle, obviously, in that type of part of 
managing a roster like this. Uh, I will just add a caveat to well, all yeah. of the stuff I'm saying is this is very subjective right now by me. I have, I have a very yeah. personal, bad, subjective opinion about Kenny Pickett, and it really drives a lot of it. It's 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 refreshing for someone as sophisticated as you just to be yelling emotionally about your team. I, uh, <laughs> it's, it's endearing, I'm sorry. but I, I can't let the, no no I can't let the conversation go without note without observing obviously that there are lots of starting quarterbacks in the NFL, some of whom are above that threshold of quote NFL quarterback that were not drafted in the first half of the first round. We could go through the numbers, but. I mean, yeah. it, we don't have to. We don't have to look very hard. We have two of the four championship qualifying teams. I know off the bat. Who is it? No, that one and that one. Uh, who did the Niners beat in the in the NFC? The uh, Lions. I mean, well, Jared okay. Goff was number one overall, but Brock two, Purdy, two right, of the is, four. Two of the Brock four Purdy were was the year of the picket draft, which just adds to the the horribleness of it all. Well, and. And obviously, Jackson was taken at the bottom of the first round as well. So there, there are lots of examples. Now, you, the probability is lower, but there are lots of examples. All right, Ron, we got to let you go. Um, we could do this for a long time. Thanks for making time for us. Before you go, tell our listeners a little bit about some of the programs you have and how they can get more of Carnegie Mellon's work on sports analytics. Yeah, so upcoming, we have a, an application deadline for our summer undergrad research program. So it's a two-month program. Uh, I'm the director of, we've been running for a number of years now. For the theme of sports analytics, uh, students are able to connect with our, our partners in our network where they work on like a capstone uh, with people from teams. This has been people from the Astros, the Buffalo Sabres, the Pittsburgh Pirates, uh, a number of different teams where they, they work together and they get a great experience of working with real world data and also having a variety of uh, classes and whatnot on different topics. And it's, they, they receive a $4,000 stipend and have housing provided to them. So it's an awesome opportunity uh, for rising juniors and seniors. And they could check things out, stat.cmu.edu slash summer. And that'll take them to uh, information about, about our summer program. And they could always, people are very interested in just seeing what we have going on uh, in our Carnegie Mellon Sports Analytics uh, initiatives and, and collaborations. We have uh, stat.cmu.edu slash CMSAC. And that'll be info of landing pages for our conference that'll be upcoming in mid-November, you know, early November, maybe late October, always, uh, always in the fall time. Awesome. All right. Lots of great stuff going on over there at Pittsburgh with Yurko and the crew at Carnegie Mellon. Ron, thanks for making time for us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. That has been another hour here on Wharton Moneyball, another full hour of sports analytics with the crew. This has been Katie Massey hosting this week with Eric Bradlow and Audie Weiner. Many thanks to Shane Jensen in absentia. He'll be back to Matty Detz, the boss man for Dion Simpkins, the associate boss man, and Kelly, the intern, doing great work for us, making the show happen. Appreciate you guys listening. Come back and join us next time. Until then, enjoy your sports. 